Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro, and with me this week is Lucas Vlahos. Lucas, big news coming out of Mets spring training over the last week, specifically Mets spring training batting practice. End of last week, Ioannis Cespedes hit a left-handed batting practice home run, and then this morning, or excuse me, uh, Monday morning, recording this on Tuesday night, Bartolo Colon broke a tree with his own batting practice home run. So we'll do it bracketology style. Who you got? Uh, definitely Colon. Well, Apparently he does it all the time. He still took out a tree. Like, he hit it hard enough that he took out a tree on it, on its way out. I mean, that's pretty impressive to me. And then the two Mets execs went to get the ball but got afraid of snakes. So Watch out for didn't. snakes. It's a legitimate, legitimate concern in Florida. Yeah, I've walked around those fields. I don't think there's really too much danger of snakes. But I got to... Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, Cespedes is such a freak of nature that you almost expect him to be able to do that left-handed, right-handed, one-handed. It's like you see those stories of, like, you Darvish warming up left-handed and hitting, like, 88 miles an hour. Right. Some of these guys are so far to the right on, the like, the bell curve for athletic ability that this kind of stuff can't be that surprising. Bartolo Colon, not that far on the right side of the bell curve. Vaguely shaped like the bell curve. So. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, I mean, we saw Cespedes hitting 500-foot home runs in the home run derby, and most of the muscles you're going to need to swing the other way are the same. The problem is you're not going to make contact. But if you're hitting, swinging at batting practice pitches, you make contact. You still have the core muscles to swing it around. And I don't think we underestimate how much free time baseball players have to dick around doing stuff like that. Yeah. Probably it's not the first time he swung a batting practice left hand it's like every pitcher during a long toss will work on a knuckleball because they've got nothing else to do right absolutely this is episode 176 oh before we get into that since it's going to come up what odds would you need in vegas to bet on a bartolo cologne regular season home run as a prop bet oh <laughs> uh let's think How do you want the like... numbers i'll give you the i'll give you the i'll give you the important stats hang on make this as uh, scientific as possible so for his career I mean he's only recently uh, he pitched for Montreal but outside of that he's pitched uh, in the AL almost his entire career I guess they've had near league play so okay Um, he's now had doubles in back to back seasons Yeah, his career ISO is point zero zero nine <laughs> but it was point uh zero one seven this year i feel like he has hit some balls hard the last couple seasons it's like that ball that got by ichiro in center field yeah that's, he's got uh, he's, he's got to rip one down the line though if it's going out he's not noah syndicating it to straightaway center <laughs> oh no absolutely not but he he's pulled a couple down the line pretty hard so maybe he hits one just right and he does it in like uh what's the friendliest left handed park the Mets will play in this year? Maybe I mean, Philly's Coors, better. Coors down the line. Coors is pretty deep though. Even Philly with, is uh, pretty good for righties, right? Yeah. Out to left field? Yeah, it is. Uh 
No, no, no. I mean, Milwaukee's always good. Yeah. Milwaukee's really good for right-handed power. So, so I could see it happening. Maybe like 100 to 1 odds. 100 to 1 you take? That seems about right to me. As we were saying before, that important prop bet digression. This is episode 176 of Amazing Avenue Audio. It's our starting pitching preview. So dim the lights, put on some candles, maybe a little Sade. Get yourself a nice glass of, I don't know, Madeira, Sherry, Port, whatever uh, suits your fancy. Because we're going to talk about the Mets starting pitching, and it's not safe for work. But before we do that, we will cover some spring training stories, as we do. And there's some bigger ones this week than there were last week. It will qualify as actual news. And first off, Adam Rubin reported this morning that Ruben Tejada has been placed on irrevocable waivers, starting in motion, a series of events that will end his career as a Met one way or the other, whether it's uh, through a trade in the next week or so or his outright release. This will save them about $2 million because arbitration awards are not guaranteed until about two weeks before the season starts, hence why this process has been started now. They have to give him 30 days severance. Um, I don't think it's a penny-pinching thing. It'd be kind of silly if it was, given how aggressively they spent this offseason and now try to save $2 million to play Matt Reynolds. Right. But what are your thoughts on this, Lucas? I honestly have no problem with it. Uh, I don't think Tejada... I mean, the story last year when he got destroyed by Utley was a pretty motivational one, but really he's an okay-ish bat. He's okay-ish defensively. Um He's the third-string shortstop with Flores and Cabrera on the roster. And you've got to have Eric Campbell on the roster, Lucas. I mean, that's that's a, a different issue. But like, uh, well, I mean, Cabrera's, Cabrera's injury doesn't sound like it's anything too bad. Maybe he'll miss a little time. But uh, knock on wood, it won't be an extended absence, in which case uh, I, I don't see the great benefit in paying extra money to Ruben Tejada for Matt Reynolds. And honestly, it's probably better for Tejada that he go to St. Louis or the White Sox to get more playing time. So He was literally starting in the playoffs for this team. <laughs> yeah, but now and now he's the third string shortstop. I know, but my issue with this is it's... And it's uh, I got a little punchy about it on Twitter this morning, as I want to do. And it's entirely possible that Matt Reynolds will be fine and that Matt Reynolds won't even be on the 25-man roster that long, depending on how... Cabrera's injury plays out, but it's this weird short-termism that's marred this front office for me over the last couple of years. If you knew that you were going to probably do this in the spring, and if they're going to do it now with the uncertainty around Cabrera's knee, like I can't see a scenario where they would have kept him. Right? Uh, maybe if Cabrera had had a longer-term injury or Flores had a longer-term injury. Uh, I, I don't see the problem with paying half a million dollars which in baseball terms is nothing just in case in in case of a worst case scenario okay fine but if you knew this was likely more likely than not why don't you non-tender him and sign Juan Uribe who's a better fit now for this roster that I I can agree with that but he would have probably come back they didn't spend much more they wouldn't have spent much more on what Uribe ended up signing for than what they tendered Tejada for he's got more experience at third base recently and throughout his career than Flores does is David Wright insurance? I mean, uh, realistically, I, what it comes down to is they didn't know if they were going to be able to sign Ezreal Cabrera when they tendered Tejada, because it's always a moving target. Well, I mean, is that something you really know at the moment? Like, 
when did they have to tender Tejada versus when they signed Cabrera? Uh, and I suppose three you, weeks apart. I suppose you do send out feelers before that to to understand what you're trying to do, or maybe they feel that uh, Uribe just isn't as good a bet going forward. I mean, he's 37. I guess, but now your bet is Eric Campbell. Yeah. And, and look, it's it, it's it's a risk versus floor thing. We know what Ruben Tejada is, and yeah, it's not exciting for people, and he's not well liked for a variety of reasons. He's mainly because he's been around for a while, and he's mm-hmm. a below average major league player, and those guys tend to wear out their welcome. You get bored with them. But I think even for us iconoclasts, you know, the team shapes the discussion around these players, and it's very clear that Terry Collins and Sandy Alderson do not like Ruben Tejada. Right, um, and whether that's fair or unfair is, I, I'm sure there's stuff behind the scenes you don't see. He did show up to camp overweight at one point, so there's, I mean, there's, Dude, if there's we started, to, you want me to make a list of guys that have showed up overweight to camp over the last few years? Uh, that's I, a real right. problem for the Mets under Alderson, especially early in his tenure. Right, I absolutely. I don't understand the obsession with Eric Campbell. I never understood the lack of appreciation for Tejada displayed by the organization but I at the same time I don't think they're it's a particularly biased move I yeah, see the I mean, logic behind what they did I mean I get the argument he's not very good against righties mm-hmm. he's not a particularly good defensive shortstop at this point in his career I think range-based stats tend to overstate that I don't think he's appreciably worse than he has been in years past at least on the talent level. I think last year was a down year for his defense. Mm-hmm. But, you know, now you're betting on a guy that's had one good professional season in his career and is only a year younger than Tejada. To potentially be playing meaningful innings and getting at-bats for this team. And I went on a podcast to an analyst preview this past weekend, and one of my arguments for the, it was in, for the Mets over the Nationals is 1 through 25, a 25-man roster, 1 through 5 in the rotation, which we'll get to, of course, they're a better team than the Nationals. 1 through 30, they're not. It drops off quickly once you get past Mm. the presumptive 25-man roster going into camp, which I think Tejada was on. I think Alejandro de Haza was on it. Now, all of a sudden, you got guys like Roger Bernardina, Travis Tyrone, and Eric Campbell into the conversation. Well, not Tyrone. He's gone now but yeah uh it won't be the last you've heard of travis tyrone (laughs) no i mean i think he's okay as a right-handed bench bat but uh i also think campbell gets underappreciated a little bit i'm pretty sure oh god not you too i did go through this with aaron last week no 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 no. i'm not saying he's anything great but i i'm pretty sure i mentioned it uh maybe it was during that awful cardinals game the keith Cyfest. How he was basically the unluckiest hitter in baseball. Oh, in you are just, of, no, I already had to deal with this with Aaron. I did, like, you're going to give me like stat cast, he beats the ball into the ground really hard stuff? Not even, even if you account for the high ground ball rate uh, and you do like any of the X Babbitt formulas and they all have problems, mm. none of them are perfect. Mm, yes. But he's, he, he was Babbitt big 230 and his projected Babbitt, well, at the time it was like 210. His projected BABIP was close to 350. Mm-hmm. It, it made absolutely no sense. Yeah. So he's a bench. I'm okay with Eric Campbell as a bench bat. Not as a starter in left field. I think. But, do people realize this is supposed to be a good. This is a first division team. You've got to have bench bats better than Eric Campbell. I'm sorry. 
Look up and down the Cardinals roster. Look up and down the Cubs roster. They're not carrying fucking Eric Campbell. I think yeah, I think we've had issues sort of readjusting our expectations for the Mets going forward because we're just so used to these sort of roster detrius floating around on second division teams, which happens, and that's it, fine. But what kind of what kind of offensive output are you looking for to call someone a good bench bat? Ruben Tejada, Alejandro De Aza. These are this is a first division team. You want second division starters on your bench. All right, so what's Tejada going to post in terms of... Or, 260, those 330, 350? So that's 95-weighted runs created plus-ish? Yes, ish. ish. Um, As a backup I, middle infielder? Have you seen what shortstops and second baseman look like as average hitters? I, I and, and look, Matt Reynolds, have... Matt Reynolds might be fine, but we're basing that on one season where he batted about 420 against double-A pitching. He strikes out a lot for a guy with his profile that doesn't walk much and doesn't hit for much power. He's not a very good defensive shortstop. Look, are we arguing about leveraging 100 plate appearances? Potentially. Yeah. But Wright's back issues, I think, make infield depth more important for the Mets than it might be for another team of otherwise comparable quality. Uh, and I, I guess I should clarify that uh, I don't. Were I in charge, I would not have released Tahada. I think they should have kept him with the infield depth. But I'm. I would also argue that I don't think Reynolds will be significantly worse. And I think Campbell, especially if he's getting most of his at bats against left-handed pitching, is a, an okay bench bat as like your fifth bat off the bench. Uh... <laughs> Another weird and possibly short-termism type news. The Mets might be looking for a veteran backup catcher so they can send Kevin Ploiecki to Vegas to play in Vegas, I guess, every day. And my sort of same... I have sort of the same issue here that I had with the Tata thing. If you knew this was a possibility, fix it in December, not in March. Uh, Agreed on that front. You put your best Uh, 25-man roster out and you go now. Player development can happen. mm -hmm. Instead, you just end up trying to find... Kevin Ploiecki a flight out of Iowa City on April 20th when Darno rolls an ankle sliding into second. But that's not even a big deal. Like, come on. We, you could get Ploiecki. You miss one game starting some scrub back up, and then you're plugging in Ploiecki. Eh. Just be good players. Get the best 25-man roster and go from there. I'm not even sure what catchers they could have gotten this offseason. Uh, always try- floating around. They could have kept Anthony Wrecker in all honesty. And I don't like Anthony Wrecker. Don't get me wrong, but if you want is a veteran sig- backup, he's in is Cleveland he significantly now, better than Manel. Or I think he's probably better than Manel. Yeah, uh, Manel gives you the left-handed bat, which is marginally useful, I suppose. But Manel didn't hit that much in Double A, so no, he didn't. <laughs> no, no, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, if they really wanted, the Rays have three good catchers. They've yeah, got sure. Rivera, Casali, and Conger. They could uh, look into Martin Maldonado, but it's entirely possible the Brewers are going to deal Lou Croy. So and want to keep Maldonado. Yeah. Um, Oh, uh, the Red Sox have Hannigan. Yeah, and they also have Vasquez, I think they were interested in Hannigan when he was in Cincinnati. I think there were rumors around that. So, yeah, Hannigan would be a good fit if they got him. For it, it depends what the Red Sox want to do because maybe they want to send Vasquez to AAA and let him play every day. So, these are in conversation we're having on March fifteenth with the defending National League champions. I feel like though, I don't know what the planning is here. If it's only if it's literally just to send Pulecki down for the first month. To say, okay, 
We've got six off days in the first month. You're not playing at all. Darno's playing every day. Uh, go play in Vegas for a month. Come back. Uh, and then I have no problem with letting Manel be the backup for that I, month. I think that's if a it, shitty thing to do to your player to send him back down so he can get his, you know, two hundred bucks a day instead of the major league per diem. Oh, so you're saying in terms of soft? Uh, yeah, soft. Uh, it's like the same argument again about sending Stephen Matz down for two weeks. So you don't need a fifth starter. Hmm. It's like don't do that to your dude. I think the argument there is different because Matts is still going to be throwing bullpens, and that's all a pitcher like a pitcher can stay ready with that. For a, a bench bat, getting zero real play to play inches seems like more of a problem. But again, this isn't like I don't think this is news to them what their 2015 2016 schedule is. Like, why wouldn't you address that before March 15th? Right, but then what are you going to do in the offseason? Get a backup that you're planning to use for one month uh, and then send Pilecki down to AAA for the or send well, Pilecki just, down to AAA. If, if it actually is just a, a one-month thing, you keep Anthony Recker for a month. I think we're kind of splitting hairs if we're arguing the merits of keeping Anthony Recker so he could be your backup instead of Johnny Manel well, for a month. I'm just saying there isn't much merit to it. You just... Use Kevin Pilecki. He's your best player. And to tie it back into the Reynolds thing, if you really want to put the best player up there, why are you rostering Matt Reynolds over Dilson Herrera? Because he can kind of play shortstop more than Herrera? Maybe. But it doesn't seem like shortstop's an issue. Do you need a third-string shortstop at that point? I I think one of the reasons they're getting rid of Tejada is they don't feel they need a third-string shortstop or a third guy that can play shortstop, quote-unquote. Well, I think Reynolds is going to be up there until Cabrera is back, and then he's going back to AAA. Yeah, I guess we never get rid of Eric Campbell, do we? Yeah, unfortunately, no. We have gotten rid of a few players, though. The Mets have done their first two rounds of spring training roster cuts since our last podcast. And not too much of interest in the first one, except uh, Rafael Montero was the first guy cut, essentially. Much like Josh Edgerton a couple years ago. It's a statement thing. Uh, if you go back to my 2015 starting pitch- pitching preview with Greg Karam, which I will be referencing throughout this show because I said some funny slash stupid things on it, uh, I, I really thought Montero was going to be a meaningful part of the 2015 rotation. It did not work out, and he may not pitch in 2016 at all for the Major League Club. Yeah. It, it, well, I, I can't really speak to, there's no stats to talk about and i haven't i didn't see him in the minors so what's actually changed you didn't see him in the dominican winter league <laughs> yeah I, I didn't uh didn't get down there unfortunately i mean with him it comes down to where is he sitting like what does his fastball actually look like now because he's always pitched off that and is his shoulder right and what is going on and there's a variety of things that might be going on and all we're really getting is the Mets side of it and it seems pretty clear what the Mets think (laughs) based Mm -hmm. on how they've handled them over the last six months, eight months. They don't think there's an issue there at all. They think it's a hashtag want thing. Is it? I have no idea. I'm going to presume they've sent him to... I'm not going to presume they're not negligent and that they have sent him to some doctors, multiple doctors. Sure, and you know, shoulders can be weird. Absolutely. Compared yeah. to elbows. Elbows are usually fairly cut and dry. There's a lot more extra stuff going on in an elbow that, or a, a shoulder that makes it harder to diagnose. 
So oh, off to Vegas, I guess. I mean, has his command significantly slipped? I wonder because he was always more a finesse guy than a power pitcher, like the rest of our rotation. Yeah, we didn't but... see him for most of 2015. So exactly. Right. You know, we can only go off sort of the whispers and rumblings out of uh, extended and rehab. I don't think that necessarily points us in any meaningful direction. Second round of cuts came out this morning. I think, uh, you know, about what you'd expect. A lot of the sort of prospecty non-roster invitees heading back down. Guys sort of fill out the minor league spring training games, which are starting up. Filling out the AAA and AA rosters for those. I guess, briefly... I'm a little surprised they did, that Gabriel Yanoa, Josh Smoker, and Travis Tyrone didn't get a longer look. But uh, I don't agree on Yanoa, but I do agree on the other two. I mean, I don't think any of three of any of the three were likely to make the opening day roster, but they all felt to me like guys that might get a another week or so to show off what they could do. I might have wanted. I thought Smoker actually had a decent chance to get the last spot in the bullpen, but. That's maybe because I want to send Verrett and Gil Martin down to be starters, uh, like emergency starters, at least to start a start the season. That's what I do. And I have a feeling that Jerry Collins is going to, much like with Eric Campbell, find a way to get Sean Gil Martin onto the roster, and then let Verrett go down to AAA and take Henderson as the last guy. I think that's how it's probably going to play out. I mean, if Goodell's healthy, maybe he uh, beats out Gil Martin, but I don't think he'll be ready for opening day at this point. No. And I don't have a problem with giving Henderson a chance. His spring numbers have his his velocity's been reasonable. His he's spring numbers good. have been good. It's spring training yeah. and whatever, but he's looked good. Right, and there's no reason like he doesn't have options. Obviously, so you have to use him or lose him. So use him, and if he fails, then you bring up Goodell yeah, he's or touching ninety five and flashing a plus slider. Put him in the fucking yeah, exactly. bullpen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> See what right. happens. And it's gonna. Be, it's like it's not like he's the eighth inning setup man. He's a uh, your fourth righty. So, I mean, I guess with Tyrone, I mean, he's obviously hit. He's may have cost him the King of Spring training title, getting sent down this early. Though he got sent down and then started today. So, yeah, I, I'm I sure he'll still get on the bus for various things when they need guys. They just don't have a lot of outfielders. Mm-hmm. You know, Granderson's still sort of easing his way back in. Nimmo's hurt. You know, Bernardino is back now, but had the visa issues, so he'll probably still get a few more reps. Though Wilmer Flores may have passed him for the vaunted king of spring training title and i just think if took a walk today he did if uh alejandro de aza gets traded which i don't think he should or necessarily will no who's the next outfielder up after that we're counting on eric campbell again it might might be tyrone i think they'd like to be nemo or bernardina but no i don't know about that far but and look he's gonna be 28 i have seen a lot of travis tyrone over the years i'll put it that way He's made fairly major changes to his swing for the better and made them work. It's, you know, again, it gets into that. Who should really be on your bench if you're serious about competing for a playoff spot? I don't know if it's a guy that's like 90% of Andrew Brown is really what you want. My personal philosophy is just that the bench is less important. I think we kind of disagree on that, so I'm not going to open that debate but yeah tyrone's swing doesn't like i think given i will say he can hit spring yeah he can hit spring training relievers yeah 
Yeah. I think given the durability concerns specific to this 2016 team, the bench is more important than it might be otherwise. Mm. And they're not that much I, better than the Nationals. You want to leverage every spot you can get. I, I also think, like, we're, we're worried about Wright going down. But, like, if Wright went down for a significant amount of time, you could call Herrera up and move Walker to third or just play Flores there. So there are options, at least. There it's are. not like last year when it was, all right, now we're starting Eric Campbell. And Danny Mono and Daryl Siciliani. And DHing Danny Mono. You probably get better than hundred to one odds in Vegas on that happening again, though. Please, for the love of God, no. There is good news, though. I know we're being a little bit uh, cynical about the 2016 Mets, but it's our starting pitching preview. So we'll get right into that, and it is sexy times. I guess we'll start with this question to sort of frame the discussion going forward, Lucas. Hmm. Whatever metric or metrics you want to use, pick your war of choice. If you want to use a few different advanced stats, K percentage, mm-hmm. however you want to mix it up, who will be the best starting pitcher on the 2016 Mets? Who's your guy? Noah Syndergaard over Matt Harvey by a hair. I have the same, actually. Nice. This is No, I know it was going to be more interesting if we didn't pick the same person. But I guess it is interesting that we both landed on Syndergaard. Uh, yeah. On that same podcast hit I did past weekend, this past weekend, it's the Baseball Beer and Barbecue podcast. You can find it on iTunes and elsewhere. One of the questions that came up sort of in our NLE's preview is, who's the guy in the Mets you think is really going to break out? And I said, look, Noah Syndergaard might win the Cy Young Award this year. Yep. I mean, I know Clayton Kershaw's always kind of got to be the chalk there. But you got yeah. Syndergaard now throwing a 90-mile-an-hour slider. A 97-mile-an-hour two-seamer to go with a 98-mile-an-hour straight fastball. And a pretty good curve, (laughs) to say the least. And he's gotten more feel for the changes gone along. Pretty pretty good is probably an (laughs) understatement. His fastball command improved throughout his major league tenure last year. Mm -hmm. You know, I often say on the podcast, you shouldn't try to predict the next 60 innings of any pitcher, usually in, in... reference to relievers but i think by the same token you shouldn't overweight the last 60 but in september he faced 102 batters he struck out 37 and he walked two ridiculous and i know it's september and whatever but if he does the stuff's really good and he has like there's certain things you look for beyond stuff when you're projecting a number one top of the rotation true ace I believe you have a term for this. I do, and I'll get to that. But it doesn't. I mean, they don't all look the same. Like Matt Harvey and Jacob Degrom and Clayton Kershaw and Madison Bumgarner and Chris Sale are all very different personalities, but they're all number one starters. But there's something ineffable there that all five of them have in different ways. And you see it with Syndergaard. I mean, Syndergaard is sort of the more... He's like the Texas version of that. You know, it's Roger Clemens. Right. You know, he's a motherfucker. Right. And I think the inflection for motherfucker for Syndergaard is a little different than I've used in the past with Nats. But it's just... He's one of those guys that... He gets it. He gets where he is. He he wants to own that, you know, 60 feet, 6 inches, as it were. And you know, look, he has to have the stuff to back it up, which he does. 
I just it I wouldn't be shocked if he turns in like a ridiculous season this year. Yeah, just just to depart from my overly mathematical ways for a moment, just yeah, I feel like I could put an article out there that just said Noah Syndergaard is going to be a top five pitcher and insert a a, a video of the Alcides Escobar at bat. It's like, and then the interview after the game. Yeah. So I'm going to put you on your ass. Then I'm going to buckle your knees with a curveball, and I'm going to strike you out with a 97-mile-an-hour two-seamer up in the zone. And then when you bitch about it after the game, I'm going to tell you to come fight me. Right. And I don't condone any of that, but... <laughs> no, no, of course not. I think the moment it clicked for me, I've referenced this game now probably in 50% of the podcasts we've done since it happened, but the Sunday night baseball game against the Nationals. Oh, yeah. Right after the trade deadline. And it wasn't... And there was a moment where he strikes out Bryce Harper. And I remember I was I was sitting there with uh, with Greg Karam. And we're just like, I think there were a couple guys on. There was some misplay in the infield or something. Yeah. I, remember if, I, think, I don't remember if Harper was the tying run or the go-ahead run. He got ahead of him. I'm like, just... It's like... like throw him the, I think it was ahead of like one. Like, throw a breaking ball, throw a breaking ball, throw a breaking ball. Just fucking 98. I think it was 99 above the hands. Just fuck you. Hit this. <laughs> You're the MVP. Hit this. And I like that because you got to have that in you. Right. You've got to just be able to go after guys with your stuff. Like, hit my best pitch. Like, I know what your heat maps are, but here, hit this. And he has that. And he also has the control to hit the right spot on the heat map when he does that. I mean, the command has definitely improved, uh, especially with the fastball. He commands the curve better now, too. And if he... Look, the slider's going to be a work in progress, but even if it's just a show-me pitch this year, it's, it's going to be a problem for hitters. Again, Worthen could teach you or I a slider, and I don't think anybody would be surprised at this point. So I have faith that he'll have a at least an average slider by midseason. Both our number twos were Matt Harvey, and he's saying all the right things. He's showing all the right things. Touching 99 has his own little uh, 91 back footer there. That pitch to Yelich was filth. Game five seems like forever ago at this point, despite it feeling like a short offseason to me. The innings lim- limit debate is even further in our rearview mirror, so what now? Uh, well, I, I, I was reading one of Eno's chats uh, a couple weeks ago, or maybe a week ago, and he picked uh, the opposite answer of us, Harvey by Hare over Syndergaard, and the argument is basically his slider, though it had roughly the same movement, wasn't as sharp Whatever, however you want to describe it in scouting terms, the spin rate wasn't the same, uh, and the results weren't the same, and that affected the rest of his arsenal. And you can see his pitch mix kind of shift throughout the year, especially in the playoffs when he was getting away with change-up curveball, fastball, basically, and he was still very effective. Well, they're they're, they're all above average major league pitches. So. <laughs> no, right, right, right. But, but no, the sliders. I've always said the sliders, the party piece, and it did seem like he didn't feel comfortable throwing it. And granted, coming off Tommy John surgery. I don't entirely blame you. I know technically the working slider isn't a true slider in terms of the stress it puts on the elbow, but if you're still throwing it 91 miles an hour, you might be a little gun-shy at first until you get more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And it did start to come back towards the end of the year, and it seems to be there in the spring. And it's Again, it almost might be the tyranny of the new at this point because Harvey is the best established of these guys i guess as weird as it is no, to say. Right, right and people and forgive my interlude into fantasy here but everyone 
like when they do fantasy pitching rankings, have uh, Jose Fernandez above Harvey and all, or Harvey outside of the top ten. And I have to bring up the point again that in 2013, before he went down with Tommy John surgery, he was at a higher war to innings pitch pace than Clayton Kershaw by a significant amount. If he had pitched the same number of innings, he would have topped Kershaw by like one and a half wins. Well, I talked about it, I think, during one of our one of our playoff podcasts. If you look at the last three seasons, which is somewhat arbitrary endpoints, but you know it's all we really have for Matt Harvey, and that's including an entire season that he missed for Tommy John surgery. He, outside of Clayton Kershaw, he's been better than every other pitcher in baseball on like yep. various rate stat bases. All right. He posted four wins last year. And he looked like he was he didn't have anything at times. Like there were a couple there was a what, a four start stretch in June where it looked like he had nothing. And he's you no know, a full thirty months now removed from Tommy John surgery. Mm-hmm. He's projected by Pakoda. He actually has the best uh Pakoda projection of the starters just looking at ERA. I think it's like two point nine eight. DeGrom's 3.1, Syndergaard's 3.2, and of course that's, you know, 50th percentile, so whatever could happen over the course of a season, it's practically a rounding error. Mm-hmm. But they have him as a top five pitcher in baseball, so. He's really good. Noah Syndergaard's really good. Jacob DeGrom's really good. I said in the 2015 preview that I thought he would regress some on a rate level. We're going to go to the scorecard, Lucas. Let's see. His K percentage went from 25.5% to 27%. His walk rate dropped from 7.5% to 5%. His ERA was lower. His FIP was basically the same. His DRA was lower, so I was uh, wrong, shockingly. And then he had the, don't forget the 10-pitch all-star inning. Straight filth again. So it's going to get boring. There's going to be a recurring theme for all these guys. They're all coming off career-high workloads. They all have four average to elite pitches. So what does Jacob deGrom do for an encore? I don't see anything unsustainable in his numbers from last year. So another five-win season, ho-hum, as the Mets' number three starter. Ho-hum, ho-hum. This is boring. It, it's so good, it's, it's ridiculous. You say, what are we doing <laughs> I know we did the starting pitching preview a little bit earlier last year. Talking about would Zach Wheeler take a step forward and then, you know, Zach Wheeler blew out his elbow the next week. So, fun times. Knock on wood. Yeah. The mess will be very reliant on starting pitching health this year. Is there even anything else to say about DeGrom? I don't know. We've talked about like a... We sound like, like we all sort of think Syndergaard and Harvey are going to be battling for, but neither of us will be shocked if Degrom pops Absolutely. off a Cy Young season either, right? So Stephen Matz is the interesting one to me, I think. Okay, because he's still even towards the end of last season seemed like he was feeling his way through his outings. Yes, he still hasn't thrown fifty major league innings if you ignore his playoff starts. He's never thrown 150 professional innings in a season. I don't worry. I know the injury-prone tag gets thrown on him by some people out there. I don't really see that. Nor do I. He had a difficult recovery from his Tommy John surgery, sure. But basically, since he's come onto prospect radars, 
when he popped in Savannah in full season ball in 2013. Yes. Yes. He's pretty much taken the ball every sixth day until he yep. had the little lat issue last season. But, you know, it's, well, technically, I suppose, if you want to call it an arm issue, you could. It's not really. No. And he had the back issue because he goes to the same uh, mattress store as Jacob deGrom, apparently. When they're not spinning them on their fingers. Yeah. What's uh, what's the future hold for Steven Matz in 2016? Uh. I mean, I think he's. I think he's going to be really good. I don't think he's going to be as good as the other three yet. But that be, that just means he's not going to be a top fifteen starter in baseball. So uh, I could. Well, that's fucking unacceptable. Wow. Yeah, just a scrub. Replace him. Um, I could see a strikeout per inning, maybe three walks per nine innings. Uh, the home run rate, I don't think, is going to be a, a long term problem. It never was in the minors, even in Vegas. Uh, so I mean, low threes, low three RA, low three FIP, maybe That's three. Florida has him at three point five five. I'll take the under. You think it'll be better than that? I think he might be too. Yeah, there's something about Matt's where it's the same kind of like ineffable thing. I think he might take a little bit longer to get there. Mm-hmm. He sort of irons out his command in the majors. He still doesn't always have his feel for his secondaries, but I think that'll come with time and reps. Yeah, and he's got some great minds around him, and he's got Worthen to help him with the slider, which he's adding. And you were willing to give him to, uh, an above-average grade on that pitch. I threw a future six on it. Yeah, I got no problem doing that. Thrown it like ten times so far. I still thrown a future six on it. Yeah, I, I'd take the uh, over on total production from what all the projections are saying. I could easily see a three-win season out of him. There is one more starter to talk about, Lucas. Big sexy. It's Bay. Bartolo's Bay. He's a batting practice monster. I waxed poetic about him in our BP lineup card this morning. And frankly, I would write a weekly Bartolo column if they would let me. But I gotta be honest. This could go badly. Yes, it could. It's like 88 mile an hour sinkers, occasionally 90 mile an hour with the 4C. More if he needs it, but, eh, you know... But we said that last year, too. Yeah, and he was just kind of Bartolo. Nothing has changed in the past three seasons, and it's the same thing. Low force ERA, take the ball every fifth day, provide entertaining behind-the-back flips and helmets falling off as he takes gargantuan swings. He was basically the same exact pitcher in 2014. He was in 2015. It'll be 190 innings of four ERA baseball, probably. And there'll be days when his two-seamer is bleeding out over the plate against the Cubs, and they're all the lefties are mashing it into the seats, but he's your fifth starter for half the season. And then we get Fireman Bart again. I do love me some Fireman Bart. But what's the actual timetable slash expectation for Zach Wheeler here? He threw off a mound this morning. Yeah, they, I've seen July 1st. <sighs> Might be slightly aggressive. But that's 15 months, right? Yeah, so. it's 15 months, I guess. I mean, they got, they were able to get 18 with Harvey because of the timing of it. Obviously mm-hmm. not as many for Parnell. And each Tommy John recovery is its own beast. And it sounds like he was ahead of schedule until they told him to slow down. And much easier to convince Zach Wheeler than Matt Harvey to slow down. Um, 
So I think you get uh, your half season of Bartolo Colon. You take the one win he hopefully provides in half a season. And then you plug in Zach Wheeler and rack up even more strikeouts. I mean, Wheeler, though, is coming off Tommy John. We know fastball command can be the last thing to come back there. His command's not great to begin with. Are we sure he's going to be able to step in and be an upgrade over Bartolo Colon even? Uh, I I would also... On the control thing, obviously the Tommy John is an issue, and he didn't have good control beforehand, but it's also worth considering his comments about always pitching in pain and having significant calcification in his elbow and a partially torn tendon that he's been pitching through for who knows how long. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me, not that I know how to scout or knew how to scout when he was pitching, if he struggled to repeat his delivery because his elbow was screaming at him. Um, So perhaps with that pain reduced, he could... Uh, improve his control a little bit. He'll never be the artist that Syndergaard, DeGrom, and Matt and uh, Harvey are, but get it down to three, maybe 3.3. Get it down to Tyson Ross levels. And you're, I mean, he's already at Tyson Ross levels. Uh, get it down to failing to come up with a comparison here. League improve average it. walk rate. Yeah, league average walk rate. And 8%. with his stuff, he'll always have a, above average strikeout rate. I don't know, I'm not completely convinced he's going to be as big a factor on the 2016 team that people think he is. I think it'd be interesting oh, as a late-season no. slash playoff relief weapon, because I don't think he's necessarily getting a start for a, a potential Mets playoff team. No, and I that's exactly what I wrote in the his season preview, is that we're not going to—he's gonna t- basically going to give you the same bottom-line win production as Cologne for half a season, then you put him in the bullpen and let him throw 100 miles an hour for an inning. For the playoffs. So those are your sixth most likely starters in the 2016 Mets. But very rarely do teams only use six. And past that, Lucas, well... Logan Verrett's fine. <laughs> like, Logan Verrett is a... Is he, a, is he a, a sixth, seventh option? I suppose that's true. Yeah. Like, it's not like we have Lucas Giolito waiting in the wings like no. the Nationals do, but... We have two, in my opinion, capable major league fifth starters. Are you really saying Sean Gilmartin's the other one? Yeah. Uh, what Sean Gilmartin looks like? He wasn't, wasn't a capable double-A starter. I don't think his stuff's magically gotten better. Uh, I mean, it's a fifth starter. Uh, double-A is... I've seen average double-A starters. They don't look like major league fifth starters. Uh, I mean, I guess then this, the the seventh starter to you is Gazelman. No, I think it's Sean Gilmartin. I just hope to God they don't have to use him. Because that's going to be the thing. It's like the drop-off for the Mets if one of these starters gets injured at random. It's a very good chance it's going to be a very good one. Sure. So they're going to be more reliant on starting pitching health than a lot of their other competitors are. And God knows the Dodgers aren't because they have no starting pitching past Kershaw. Oh, so how many have they of that? already lost? So Ryu's taking longer. Uh, Woods got elbow pain. Casimir's stuff is gone. Anderson's Anderson hurt. is hurt. Uh, McCarthy won't be back till the summer, probably. Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's great. And they, granted, they have De Leon and Urias to call on. So. I saw somebody tweeted that the fifth starter competition was between like, Zach Lee and Urias, which are two very different things. I mean, I've literally forgotten between... Zach Lee was still around, but didn't the Mets have a game against Lee last season where they absolutely yeah, they destroyed him? him? 
he's not very good. No, he's, he was like a big prospect. They gave him a lot of money because they had to buy him away from LSU as a quarterback, I think, if I recall. But he was always sort of like a power sinker guy and stopped really throwing that hard and nothing else really developed. They still have Mida, though I'm not a big fan, really. Yeah. Uh, now we're talking about the Dodgers. Start, Dodgers starting pitching preview. If you want more on the Dodgers, I'll be interviewing uh, Andy McCullough for the Effectively Wild Dodgers preview, which goes up in a couple weeks. And I'm sure it will be coming up then. I have a question for you, actually. Sure. Um, so I was curious... Just because I like to dream on these things. And I looked up the best uh, by F4, problems with F4, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, he's but the best, already best rotations this, but... of all time. Yeah. Uh, and the answer was the 2011 Phillies. That makes sense. Right, it makes sense because they had Halliday and Lee and Oswalt and Hamels. Um, so they posted 26 wins. Yeah, and so, those aren't beating that. You don't think there's any chance they beat that? There's a chance. Less than 10%. So you get seven from Harvey and Syndergaard. That's okay, optimistic. Yeah. yeah. You get you five got, from DeGrom. You get seven from Harvey and Syndergaard. You still got to get 12 from your other three pitchers. That's crazy. Those are so need... three more borderline all-star level starting pitching seasons. Yeah. I mean, and keep I in mind... I... It's not, I mean, it's not impossible. But also... Offense is down relative to 2011. The park factor is very different. Mm-hmm. So I think it's possible still that City is getting, we're getting into like really sort of how the data gets abjured now. I just think on a true talent level, they're not as good as the 2011 delay rotation. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're I mean, probably. I mean, if you want to put it in scouting terms, you know, Roy Halladay was essentially an eight. He was an 80 starting pitcher. Right. You know, Lee and Hamels and even Oswald were probably sevens. Oswald wasn't very good. That year? No. No. I mean, in general. He's a perennial all-star starting pitcher, so. Yeah. Yeah. Who was their fifth starter that year? Blanton. They had some really uh, good Blanton season. Vance Swarley had <laughs> Vance. 100. <laughs> Had a two-win season. It was very top-heavy. So yeah, they got the yeah. But that's fine. You could see Bartolo doing a Vance Worley impression. Just to give you the exact numbers, sure. Holiday posted eight point three. Yeah, Lee was six point eight. It's so Hamels hard to have an eight-win pitching season nowadays. Yeah, I, I might go higher than ten percent just because I could see Harvey slash Syndergaard posting seven and a half wins each. A lot, and of, then that, a lot of the issues there come in too is those guys were all veterans and they rode them hard. And war is yeah. a counting stat. Right. The, How so, many innings are they really going to ride Syndergaard and Mats especially? And who are sure. those innings going to go to when they don't go to them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely fair. I mean, you could look at it. I'm just looking at starting pitching. So if it went to relievers, you could do it on like a war per inning pitch base, but yeah, that's a fair point. I don't think Harvey and Syndergaard are throwing 230 innings apiece this year. No. Nor should they. We'll move on now to your emails. Before we do emails, we do housekeeping. It's Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 176. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. 
You can find us on the internet at AmazonAvenue.com. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. And join our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash Amazing Avenue. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio. You can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can find the podcast on the Stitcher app, download directly from blogtalkradio.com slash Avenue, or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post at Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. You can find me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Lucas Vlahos. You can find him on Twitter at lvlahos343. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And our first email is from Kevin. Hello, Jeff and co. I'd like to offer two questions, the first of which being a quickie, and second, a bit more drawn out. First, for the Mets' success, will undoubtedly ride on their starting pitching. Sure will, Kevin. Yep. Which position player most needs to outperform his projections for the offense to thrive? Uh, Cespedes. Well, I'm only going off Pakoda, but Cespedes is like a four and a half, five one player from that. So. Oh, never mind then. I'm not going off Pakoda then. I would say. I was looking. Yeah, Steamer's much lower on him, but I feel like it's probably gotta be David Wright. Yeah, that's probably fair. He's got to be on the field. He's got to be effective. And they don't have the best depth behind him, as yeah. we talked about. But I don't think you know. They're balanced enough offensively this year. I don't think they need a huge breakout season or overperformance season from somebody. No, it's not like they have uh, like a uh, a good a true number four bat. It's not like they have uh, Chris Davis in the middle of the line lineup or Jose Bautista mashing forty home runs. But they have four or five guys you'd be pretty comfortable as traditional number three or number five hitters. Second, since the regular season still is yet to begin, I have an off-season type question. Where will the Mets be in five years? Is our organization finally ready to become perennial contenders like the Cardinals and the Giants? Giants only do it in even years, so. Yeah. Or like biennial. Who of our current players and prospects will be the core of our team in five years? Which starters get resigned? Which position players get locked up, etc.? I know you're probably tired of answering questions like this. I should really just enjoy this 2016 season and not think about the future. But as a Mets fan, has come to expect an impending doom. I want to know if this team can maintain its positive trajectory. Actually, considering a column like this, uh, Patrick Flood used to do it at the at his old blog on SNY.TV, where he sort of looked at the Mets four years out and did like power rankings for who he thought would be the the best players on those teams. Mm-hmm. So I might bring that back this year. Um, I don't know. Goodbye, Harvey. <laughs> So in five years, essentially every single one of their pitchers, other than Matt's, would be... You no, know, I guess Syndergaard would be going Syndergaard, into his last yeah. year of, of team control. Yeah. Um, and I think they'll hang on to DeGrom. Yeah, they might. I don't know. I'd say in five years from now, at least one of their Mets starting pitchers will have had Tommy John surgery. In all likelihood. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's so... Like, so in 2006, you wouldn't have guessed the Mets would be where they were in 2011. In 2011, you would have 
hoped they would be where they are now going into 2016, I guess. Yeah, these are probably been like the always... third or fourth year of that kind of situation rather than the first, but. but these exercises are always difficult because, I mean, then you, you draft a Michael Conforto and he's up in one year. We have no idea when that's going to happen, so. Yeah, they drafted Brandon Nemo five years ago and he hasn't played in the majors yet. Right. So you, it isn't. I mean, you do see certain trends, you know, top end players aren't making it to free agency. They're getting extended internally for long periods of time at market rate or close to it. And the best players are. They'll still be outliers. You know, Bryce Harper, I think, is definitely going to end up in as a free agent. Probably Manny Machado. You know, probably some. You know, probably Matt Harvey. In Everyone who's a Boris client. client Everyone probably. who's a Boris client. Well, all three of them are Boris clients, right? Is Machado? Uh, yes, I think Machado, Machado is. is. Yeah. So yeah. All three of them are, yeah. So, uh, yeah. I don't, I really don't know. What's my uh, common refrain on this podcast? We all might be dead in five years anyway, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Dom Smith, starting at first base. It's, I think you'd get reasonable odds on that, actually, given the other options. I don't know. We'll probably yeah. have Rosario Look, short. And... The only person I'm definitely betting to be on the 2021 Mets is Bartolo Colon. <laughs> <laughs> is he still starting or is he a full-time reliever? No, he's still starting every fifth day, man. <laughs> How and old would he be? 47? 48? I think this was age 43 season. Well, when did Moria retire? At like 50? No, he made it to 49, I think. I don't think he made it to 50. I could, t- I could see it. I could see it. Our next email is from Johnny Caps. Hey, Jeff and Co. You ever see the Seinfeld episode, The Bizarro Jerry? Of course. I'm, I mean, I'm in my 30s. I've seen every Seinfeld episode. When Elena enters the Bizarro world and all her new friends are a Bizarro version of Jerry, George, Kramer, and Newman. Remember Feldman? We all know there are obvious parallels between Seinfeld and the Mets. And on the 30-year anniversary of the 1986 Mets, I also see some parallels on the 86 and 2016 rosters. Thought it would be fun, at least for me to listen to, to come up with the bizarro version of each member of the 86 team from our projected 2016 team. Who is this team's Lenny Dykstra, Ray Knight, Kevin Mitchell, and so on. You can compare pitchers to pitchers and hitters to hitters, but position isn't important. Your answer can be based on a combination of skills and personality, so you're considering both on-the-field and off-the-field contributions. I will start the bizarro version of Sid Fernandez is Bartolo Colon. I don't. I feel bad comparing someone to Lenny Dykstra with the benefit of hindsight. Yeah, I mean, Kevin I feel Mitchell like too, for that matter, really. I mean, if you've ever read like the Bad Guys one, you realize that the 1986 team were a bunch of dicks. I mean, there are a lot of dicks in the 2016 team. To be fair, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's just not as I. I, I would. There are always going to be assholes in the clubhouse. I'm willing to bet that the 1986 Mets were bad amongst major league clubhouses. Peak asshole, if you will. Yeah. Ray Knight feels like Curtis Granderson to me. Yeah. Veteran, brought in late. Nice, nice er guy. Nice er guy with the media, especially. Let me take a look at the 1986 Mets roster, which I mean, I I know from memory vaguely, but I want to make sure I'm not overlooking anyone obvious. 
It's just like tr- tough to find someone that works for Strawberry. I've heard some convincing arguments for Gary Carter as Yuan Cespedes as sort of the last piece of the puddle, puzzle argument. Yeah, I was actually going to suggest that one. Who's the Wally? The Wally is always fun. <sighs> I would have said Daniel Murphy, but alas, yeah, there's no, no more Daniel Murphy. I think the, honorarily it has to be Daniel Murphy. Yeah. Murph strikes me. I don't know if Murph will go into managing, but I can definitely see him having a TV analyst yeah. career of some sort afterwards. I think management has gone. I think managers are starting to get smarter and no knock on Murphy, but he doesn't seem like the saver metric type. I think it's just more that he'll have made enough money in baseball where that won't be as appealing to him. Mm. You do see more, I guess, quote unquote stars become managers now, but we're still, I think, past. There's still the generation of stars that didn't make huge money in baseball. Like, even Matt Williams, Mattingly especially. Um, even you know, Robin Ventura did pretty well for himself. But Ventura yeah. also just sort of didn't have to go through the grind of... They just made him a manager. The minors, just made him a manager. Who's the Keith Hernandez? That's a tough ask. It's like a trade acquisition... Uh, but they don't really have any good trade acquisition. I mean, the the Cespedes would fit there again, kind of. Yeah. Uh, uh, Cespedes, a man that likes the finer things in life as well, as we know. That's that's very true, and we know Keith loves his uh, luxuries. Um, you'd almost argue for Wheeler because he's like the trade acquisition a couple years before they hit it big, but he still hasn't done anything. So, yeah. Walker. Since yeah, it just doesn't feel, yeah, I don't feel, I'm not feeling it. Yeah, like I, I'm going through guys I've traded for. I think Daryl Conforto. I mean, Daryl was a generational talent as a prospect, which Conforto wasn't. But we know uh, eh, Conforto. Yeah, I could see that. I'm not sure Conforto's high will ever be as high as Daryl's high. True. In more ways than one. It's, yeah. Pun somewhat intended. We don't have Anthony Wrecker anymore, or else he'd be the good comp for Lima Zilli. Good-looking yep. men. Ass of MLB. I mean, who's a Mookie, so... I think it's Flores. So, Flores would be Mookie, yep. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to go with that one. Though Flores, as we know, is the millennial Ed Cranepool. <laughs> Uh, On the pitching you, side, I was told I can't compare Doc Gooden to Matt Harvey. I'm not. Why not? To. It's perfect. It's <laughs> there's reasons. Um, but I, I almost like Syndergaard more. Sort of badass fastball curve guy. Also, I suppose and Gooden was. Uh, a pro- I mean, well, I guess yeah. Harvey's a good hitter too. But Syndergaard's a good hitter. Yeah. But... Uh, and both Harvey and I mean I don't remember. I wasn't alive. I don't know how much of the spotlight Gooden really liked, but from what what I've read, he was a more private guy. So maybe you could even say Degrom for Gooden. Not sure, really. 
I think Blevins for Jesse Orozco. Sure. That works. I don't really, I'm not feeling a Familia, though. No, no, yeah, there's no one like Familia. It's no one good for that you really want to comp. To, oh, I guess we're doing pitchers now, too. Is okay. Keith Hernandez just David Wright? Yeah, maybe. Who's Ronnie? Yeah. Wheeler would be, again be good for Ronnie because of the control problems, but. Sure, I could see that. Who else was even in that rotation? Uh, Bobby Doc, Dar- Bobby Ahita, right. Uh, Future screaming Bobby O, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank on most of these. Yeah, it's just I mean, once you get past like the, the top line guys, it's not as exciting. So we'll move on to an email from one of our many Michaels. Hi guys, is the only person to send you an email last week. I feel a responsibility to help you pad the length of this week's podcast. Don't do us any favors, Michael. I know you're always complaining the podcasts are too short. I mean, I don't even remember the last one over two hours. Here's our World Series preview. I read an interesting article about TJ Rivera. It's because it's March. You get articles yeah. about TJ Rivera. He has quite the He's compelling the Bronx, story. You know. yeah, it's, we're going to get to that. He has quite the compelling story, especially to a Mets fan like me that has lived most of his life in the Bronx. Oh, boy. To recap, he was a baseball star at Lehman High School, signed by the Mets as a non-drafted free agent, has hit, albeit with no power at every level where he's played, and can play anywhere on the infield or corner outfield. I mean, as Bill James once said, if you launch me into space a couple times, you could call me an astronaut, too. It doesn't make me an astronaut. I didn't find him on anyone's prospect list. I understand that's because of his age, 27, and lack of power. But where would you rank him among Mets prospects? Do you expect him to make the majors for more than a cup of coffee? How does he compare to Terry Collins' favorite Matt, Eric Campbell? Would your opinion change if he glued on really thick, dark eyebrows? One other quick question. How does <laughs> Louis... It's a Josh Satin reference. Oh. How does Luis Guillorme's defense compare to Ray Ordonez? Do you think it'll be good enough for him to start in the majors? Yours truly, one of our many Michaels. TJ Rivera. I've gotten TJ Rivera questions before. We've done 176 episodes, so I've gotten questions about all these guys. Um... Where would he rank on a prospect list? We all sent in top 30s, and I'm pretty sure none of us had TJ Rivera on. I don't think he would have made my top 50 or anybody else's. Maybe Steve's. I might have put him on a top 50. I don't know. I guess, yeah. At some point, I'll wait proximity, even if it's proximity to bad. Proximity to being an org guy. (laughs) It's like a binary thing. Either you're an org guy or you're not. And like, look, he's useful. He's going to play forever in organized baseball not forever but you'll play for a while in organized baseball because you can fake shortstop and play a bunch of different positions and hit a little bit that's basically what john mallow did forever but he's not gonna there's not really a starting role for him at this point in the upper minors he's gotten passed by so many guys do i expect him to make the majors no but i didn't expect danny mono or daryl siliani to make it either no i think they probably had better shots as prospects to do it it wouldn't like shock me if he got a couple weeks as a bench or not weeks a week as a bench bat, but yeah. nothing more than that. I forget. I'm trying to remember who said this recently on Twitter, but it was a good point. Um, 
more guys are closer to having two weeks in the majors than I think we generally convey as prospect writers. Yeah. Because, like, we don't even write about—I did a whole piece of, on baseball prospectus last winter about we don't write about 30s. But 30s play in the majors all the time. The Mets started several of them this year, uh, last year. One of them's going to make the opening day roster this year. Um, it's it happens. I don't even think Rivera gets over that bar, but you know, twenties play in the majors too sometimes. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, usually it's for a week or two. But you know, I mean, look at the guys that sort of populate your minor league free agent pool like every year guys like mark kraus uh matt clark last year ty kelly they all played in the majors you know for a week a few weeks here and there right. well, i mean he comes up for a couple weeks he gets his hit and he retires happy yeah and that's a successful career for an undrafted free agent yes uh, Urame is not as good a defensive shortstop as Ray Ordonez because no one is. Simmons. Yeah, yeah, fine. I, mean, you know, I was trying to use a little bit of hyperbole there, but um, I mean the big difference between Urame and, and Ordonez is Ordonez had a cannon, an actual cannon, right, for a shortstop arm. I know what that looks like. Um, and you know, Ray Ordonez had a, if not an eight, certainly a seven shortstop arm. Urame doesn't have that. He can do things physically on the diamond that remind me of Ray Ordonez. Got some smooth transfers. Yep. But uh, the the big difference is the, the the gap and it gets exacerbated because of the demands of shortstops that he can't make all the throws. And he certainly can't make all the throws that Ray Ordonez could. And Ray Ordonez is a slam dunk, top of the scale, 80 shortstop. I have Guillermo as a 65, which is nothing to sneeze at. Right. Right. That's very good. Is that good enough for him to start in the majors? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a very good base to start with, but you have to hit a little bit. I'm not entirely convinced he'll hit enough. He has trouble getting the ball out of the infield. Yeah. And, you know, he might have less power. I don't know if he has less raw power than Wilfredo Tovar, but his swing is very much geared to cut off whatever strength he does have. But Wilfredo Tovar played two weeks in the majors too, so. Like I said. I'm trying to think if there's any major league comparison for that. Uh, well, when I was I feel talking like about we're, he reminds me of, he's like a dead ball error type player. Yeah, I feel like there aren't a lot of those super defensive shortstops right now. And Brendan Ryan's still playing somewhere. He's with the Nationals, isn't he? Uh, they released him. Yeah, I don't know where he is at the moment. Or it's a... I feel like he popped up somewhere in the spring because I think it's either a, a Mets game I was watching or some other spring training game. I feel like it was the Nationals. I know the Cubs had him and released him because it came up in our BP annual drinking game. But I don't yes. know where he is now. Who is the Tiger shortstop that lasted forever with just the pure defense, awful offense pr- profile? Talking about Omar Vizquel? No. <laughs> it's uh, something with an E. With an E? Yeah. Maybe maybe I'm misremembering. Crap. I mean, the one that always comes to mind for me is Jason Bartlett. 
Though he had that one good offensive season with uh, Tampa, much like Ordonez had the one good offensive season with the Mets. Well, while you look that up, I'll read our last email. It's from Robert. Hi, Jeff and friends. It's spring training, and since I refuse to ask you anything about shortstops, I thought I would crib from the hard-hitting questions listeners have sent to my favorite Tottenham Hotspur podcast, SB Nation's Wheeler Dealer Radio. Some Spurs content, fine. One, if ball players still made so little money that they needed to work off-season jobs, what would Mets players do for extra cash? Uh, well, Bartolo Colon would be a lumberjack. As we know, chopping wood. Uh, Anthony Recker is still not on the Mets, but definitely Gene's model. Yep. I mean, Jacob DeGrom could just go back to castrating bowls. Just protect the pitching hand, man. I can see Zach Wheeler, professional video game player. Steven Matz opening a sandwich shop? Sure. I don't know what David Wright would do. Matt Harvey would probably be a bartender in Chelsea. Oh, absolutely. He'd go full hipster beard, I bet. Adam Everett. Oh, he didn't. He wasn't even there that long. Yeah, yeah. I, I for some reason I think of him as an Astro. Uh, Flores. Flores would be an ice cream man. Everyone loves the ice cream man. Uh, and Cespedes would probably be like a NASCAR driver. Cespedes actually. I, I used to work with a guy that uh, he had a large ranch out in Texas, and he would have like people over and they do like hunting tours i could right. totally see cespedes doing that on his property <laughs> two what's on lucas duda's netflix queue uh bojack horseman i could see that not not that i'm suggesting he he is one but he just has the attitude of like a, a california semi-stoner dude yeah. so what do they watch I should know since I'm in California, but I mean, like Friends is good, mindless stuff, right? Yeah, he probably has like uh, it's like Breaking Bad in his queue, but he never watches it. It's just like, right. <laughs> <laughs> never got around to it, man. I hear it's good. It's overrated. Three, if Leicester win the Premier League this season, does that make Tottenham the Mets? I think I think I compared them to the Mets when I did my what Premier League team you did you should pick, or what European soccer team you should pick article, even though you all picked Arsenal. Um, hey, I picked Tottenham, though I never follow them. <laughs> I'm trying. Make, if Leicester win the Premier League this season, I don't really see Leicester as the Royals, though. I can offer nothing to this discussion. I mean, the Spurs are the Mets for different reasons. So, I mean, even now, they're, they're vaguely competent. Though I do it like Lucas Duda as a Harry Kane-type figure does work, I think. And there's no if. They're five points up with eight games to go. It's, it's ha- this is happening, apparently. <laughs> Leicester City against Watford in the Community Shield next August. Get ready for it. Those are your emails. 
Once again, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. I am off next week, Lucas. Who's filling in? I'm at a wedding in New Orleans. You will get the dulcet tones of our Joey Ramone punk punk rock legend, Chris McShane. (laughs) We'll be handling podcasting duties next week. I'll be back the week after for our relief pitching preview, and then it'll be baseball time. It's very exciting. Thank God. Real baseball game. This is now the point of the spring training where they've cut all the interesting prospects from the main roster. Yeah. So now it's, it's, just, it's, it's like not even worth watching these games. It's rough. Come on, I need some other things to procrastinate with. What, before uh, the start of the season? No, before uh, I need to, I need to watch something to watch when I'm not paying attention in class. The baseball games come on like right towards the end of my day. I, mean, I guess that makes sense. Tune out for the last two hours of class each day. You can watch other spring training games. Those might be more interesting. I don't know. It's hard to watch other uh, teams just because our announcers are so good that I find every other team's announcing to be bad. I don't think who else has got a pretty good announced team. I guess the Cubs do. The Brewers are good. Brewers are good, yeah. The Giants, I've heard, are excellent. There, there are a couple out there that are good, but then I wind up somehow with a Nationals game or a White Sox <laughs> game, and I want to perforate my eardrums. You don't have any other... Uh... I've got no other things to plug. I have anything to plug either. I don't have any Effectively Wild podcast this week. It's all AL teams for the next four. But the week I'm in New Orleans, you'll hear me talking about the Nats, Giants, and Mets. So I have three going up that week. Then it's into like prospect season. I already got three trips planned in April that'll probably go into four. So it's very exciting. To enjoy that wonderful double-A rotation. Have you seen Dom Smith a lot? Which you know I love talking about Dom Smith on the show. So. What, oh, what do you think of Terry Collins' comments about Dom Smith today? I My policy about Terry Collins' quotes in March apply here as well. When I see it in an actual game, <laughs> then it matters to me. Be prepared to have that like mentioned every time you criticize Dom Smith for the next forever. Sure, that's fine. You know, I'm just surprised Terry Collins didn't say he's a baseball player. That's what it says on his scouting report. Like he did about Matt Reynolds last spring. Every scouting report I see says he's a baseball player. I thought he was a hockey guy. Yeah. but So for insight like that, you have to tune in next week for another edition of Amazing Avenue Audio.